Welcome to the Middle East Report. I'm John Riley. Each week, I help you make sense of what's happening in that region through a biblical lens. Security threats, archaeological discoveries, biblical prophecy are just a few of the things that we cover each and every day. And the main purpose of the Middle East Report is to encourage you to read, study, and apply God's Word in your daily life. And I believe the best way to do that is to connect to the people, places, and geography of what we read in God's Word. We are going to do that today. We are going to go directly to the land of Israel and talk to Ron Cantor. He is the president of Shalanu TV. It is Israel's only Hebrew language gospel TV station. We're going to find out about that. And he's an authority on the Jewish roots of the faith and the history of Israel. Ron, thank you for joining us from the land of Israel. Thank you most, so much, John. I'm happy to be here. Ron, where are you uh, living in Israel? What part? Well, we lived in for 20 years in Tel Aviv, which is the New York City of Israel. And about six months ago, we moved uh, deep into the south in a city called Ashkelon, which folks may remember from the Bible. It was a Philistine city um, you know, thousands of years ago. Now it's a Jewish city. And we moved here to take care of my mother-in-law, and suddenly a war broke out literally 10 minutes from us. So we're, we're just above the border, northern border of Gaza. Tell us what you do there in Israel. You are involved in a lot of different things there in the land of Israel to love and, you know, support the Jewish people. Well, you know, my main job is, the, as you said, the president of Shalana TV. Shalana was birthed a few years ago, 2019, when Israel's largest cable company approached me, and they wanted to, uh, I worked with a TV network, God TV, and they wanted to, God TV to come on the air. And I said, I'm not interested. And they said, well, why not? And I said, well, we're a Hebrew-speaking company, uh, country, and you want me to bring a, a English-speaking channel on the air and, and to pay you. I'm not really interested. I said, but I am interested in having a Hebrew-speaking channel. And uh, he said, let's do it. And I said, no, you, you don't understand. <laughs> you, I, 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 you know, I don't think he understood the backlash, and I tried to explain to him uh, but he was convinced that it was the right thing to do, and so we went forward and we birthed it on Israeli cable. It was kind of a shock that we actually had a Hebrew language messianic gospel preaching channel in Israel, and uh, we were live on Independence Day, Israeli Independence Day, 2020, actually. It was right in the midst of COVID, and... Um, and about a week later, um, there was such crazy backlash from the uh, religious community, mostly just a, a few very loud voices, but it's what I expected. I never expected that we were going to stay on cable. And two months later, we were officially kicked off and we were all ready to move to the internet. So we have had an internet 24-7 TV station uh, sharing the good news of Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah, in Hebrew uh, for the past uh, 40 years. And um, praise God, we're seeing fruit. Well, that's one of the things that you all are doing in Israel. I know you're doing uh, some support for the war, you're helping families, and you're, you're, you're actually helping um, soldiers. And I, I'm interested in finding out about what you guys are doing in that area and why. Well, it's, it's not really a part of our day-to-day -day ministry, at least it wasn't. And on October 7th, my wife and I were in uh, France. I was on my, we were on a train leaving Geneva, Switzerland on our way to Marseille, France uh, for a speaking engagement that evening. And uh, 
it, it was uh, just one of the worst days of our lives as we're, we're following the news from the early morning. And, and you have to understand when we realized that it was more than just rock, we're used to rockets. I'm right now, uh, I can go downstairs and I have a safe room. Uh, it will protect me against Hamas rockets. Uh, it doesn't mean it's a fun thing to be here in Ashkelon when there's thousands of rockets that are that meant to kill you, that they're literally 10 minutes down the road, people who want me to die. That's what they live for. They live for me to die, and they're willing to die in their efforts for me to cease to be or my nation to cease to be. So as we're following the news, we're just devastated, but we never imagined even – by the end of the day, when we heard that there were terrorists in the country from Gaza, when we heard that there were people kidnapped and people were, were murdered, we, we thought the numbers were very small. Maybe, you know, a, a few dozen terrorists, you know, there were anywhere from three to 5,000 uh, terrorists. And, and they weren't all terrorists. Some of them, they were just people in Gaza, saw the fence down, and they ran in to loot. So as the Hamas killers were killing these people were grabbing TV sets and and whatever they could grab and and take back into Gaza. Uh, it was just crazy. But it took us six days to get back here. And when we finally got uh, got home, uh, we went straight from the airport to a dinner for soldiers. A lot of our southern communities they they turned into army based neighborhoods. Um, gymnasiums, you know, and soldiers were sleeping there. So we ended up at a Shabbat dinner. That's our Friday night dinner. Friday night here in Israel is is uh, sacred. Everyone eats together in families and you bring guests over. It's a big deal. And so we went straight from the airport to a dinner that was being held for soldiers who had been drafted. And, you know, a, a lot of your listeners might not understand that most of our army, they're what we call Miloim, which is reserve. They're not, you know, we're, we're a people's army. Uh, everyone in Israel, you know, for the most part, is part of the army. And um, so when there's a crisis like this, people are, they're, they're drafted. They have to come right back. They train every year for a little bit in case they have to go to war. And so we were at this dinner and a woman came up to me and she said, listen, could you help me get a bulletproof vest for my son. I still don't remember how she knew that we were a nonprofit or that we had connections with donors. But I, I said to her, what are, you, what are you talking about? That's that's the army's job. You know, you certainly the army is going to provide your son with a bulletproof vest. And that's when we found out that we, we were woefully unprepared. It was a huge wake up call for Israel. Um, not just that we allowed October the 7th to happen, but that we weren't our army wasn't ready to deal with it. So, you know, rather than pointing fingers or getting angry, we just started raising money. We raised about a, almost a million dollars and we've been buying since October 7th or October 13th when we got back to the land, uh, bulletproof vest, helmets, and not just for soldiers. We've been working with, with uh, uh, we call them pletim. You know, they're, you know, we have refugees, Jewish Israeli refugees in our own country. They're, they're not in other countries, but they, they can't go home to their uh, homes on the southern border. And we have tens of thousands of those on our northern border that have had, they're living in hotels because of Hezbollah, just, you know, sending thousands of rockets over the past 
several months. So we've got people in the South and the North, they have nowhere to go. So we just shifted our entire ministry to help soldiers, to help evacuees, to do whatever we could do. Well, you're doing that. And if you want to find out more about what they are doing, go to roncantor.com, roncantor.com. Ron, let's uh, turn to what's happening there in Israel right now. You've got so many war fronts happening there in the land of Israel. You have Gaza, you've got Lebanon, you've got Syria, you've got Yemen, and of course Iran over all of that and so much more. And then just recently, um, just to give people a sense of how the country is feeling, you returned from a funeral from a very close friend who was in the IDF. Yeah, I I wouldn't say he was a close friend. He was somebody that I met in the midst of this conflict. He was the commander of a it was battalion 630, and we have adopted one of the units, Unit Gimel or C, um, in battalion 630. We've been providing vests and helmets and and food and encouragement, um, all kinds of different stuff for them. And he is. He, he was a big shot. He was a lieutenant colonel, probably would have been a general eventually. And uh, we were invited down. They wanted to honor me and my wife. And I always tell them it's not us, it's our donors. Uh, those are the ones who deserve the credit, but we're the face to the gift. So they they brought us down into a kibbutz called um, Near Oz. Near Oz was attacked on October the 7th, and 100 out of the 400 people lived there were either killed that day or taken into Gaza. They're just a few kilometers from Gaza. Just just imagine, you're, you wake up Saturday morning, it's a beautiful October day, and, and suddenly there are rockets, and, and you're used to rockets. You can live with rockets. We, we have you know the Iron Dome, we have safe rooms, but suddenly there are, you hear shooting, and there are terrorists in your neighborhood, and, and people were murdered. It was just horrible. So... Um, uh, Nati, which is the name of this lieutenant colonel, he uh, gave us a personal tour of the of the of the tragedy that happened on that day. Um, this was now in in mid December, and while we're getting to know him, we found out that he, obviously he's not a lieutenant colonel every day. He's a you know he's in the reserve army, but you you jump out of your life and suddenly you're. You're lieutenant colonel. If you got a hundred and and four soldiers under your command, several different units, and uh, but he's a chef, and we uh, found out that during a tour that we did for a bunch of CEOs about four years ago, he is the head chef in in the hotel was I should say, and just a few days ago they were supposed to get out. This is the real. This is the thing that just breaks my heart and and breaks the heart of the nation. It was all over the news. Uh, they were supposed to come out of Gaza on Friday last week. And uh, they got word at the last... We were preparing a big big banquet for them. We just bought uh, backpacks with the the, uh, emblem. I'm looking at the emblem right now because they gave us a plaque. It's right in front of me um, thanking us for the helmets and the other things that we've done. But they've got their own emblem for Gadud Shlosh. Sheh Shloshim Battalion 630 and we were going to have a big cookout and celebration, a banquet and they said well you got to stay in a few more days and he was in an apartment building on um, about three days ago 
and it was booby trapped. They didn't know that. That's one of the things Hamas does is they they have explosives in buildings, in apartments, and then what they do is they shoot an RPG, rocket propelled grenade, at the apartment, which then sets off the explosives. And he, that's what they did. Did he was killed along with two others under his command, and and it was just heartbreaking. We found out um, the next morning. And we just got in the car and we drove two hours to Haifa for the funeral. There was over a thousand people there. Um, it was very moving to hear more of his story from his wife, from his father, who was also a, a warrior, uh, fought in the Six Day War. And uh, it was just, just a tragic, tragic day. And that story can be told over and over among so many families there in Israel because so many families have loved ones that have... Uh, been injured or have died as a result of the war, whether it was on October 7 or in the current war that's that's going on there. So let's just really pray for everything that's going on there in the land of Israel. And if you go to roncantor.com, they've got some great stuff there to help you pray for what's happening there in the land of Israel. What about Hezbollah? You know, we're hearing, you know, a lot about Hezbollah in the north right now and Obviously, there's a lot of uh, activity up in that that part of the region of Israel, and a lot of rockets flying down from the north. And it's everybody is saying like this is going to be the next major thing going on in Israel. Yeah, it may be if they don't back down, um, Steve. In just a, a little bit of history, in 2000 or maybe 1999, Ehud Barak, who was our prime minister at the time, he thought it would be a good idea. To, uh, for, to pull our troops out of Lebanon. We controlled 20 kilometers. It, it, again, here's what folks don't understand, is they try and, and understand what's happening here in Israel with a Western mentality. They have to understand that, that you, know, you, you can see horrible things happening in Gaza. Yes, people are dying, civilians are dying, and, and it breaks my heart. Nobody wants that. But you have to understand that we live with not just terrorists, but terrorist armies on our borders in Gaza, not just in Gaza with Hamas, but uh, Lebanon's government, about a third of their government are Hezbollah. So we're, we're not talking, we're talking about a terrorist organization that has an army that bigger than the Lebanese army. And so that's what we have to deal with it day in and day out. Now we have the Houthis in, in Yemen that are, you know, firing on ships in the Red Sea. And of course, all of them are backed by Iran. But in Hezbollah, uh, we control 20 kilometers, not because we wanted more land, but we had to push them away from our northern border. So they could not bomb our, our northern communities. And so when Ehud Barak pulled out, um, there's a UN uh, a resolution that says that the, the Hezbollah terrorists have to stay within 30 kilometers of our border. But again, hello, UN, they're terrorists. They're, these are religious fanatics willing to die for their cause. So they really don't care about UN resolutions. So what they did is they, the next day, they just moved up to, to our border. Um, and we had to evacuate, uh, you know, thousands and thousands of soldiers from the South Lebanese army, you know, mostly most of whom are Christian and because they would have been killed by Hezbollah because they had been working with Israel for, you know, a number of years in protecting that that buffer zone. And so they came in there and, 
you know, we had the war in 2006, seven, uh, around there. And now when October the 7th happened, they decided again, and they've been bombing us. Now we've been responding. We, we have the firepower that we, we could deal with Hezbollah very quickly, but it would cause a war and it would also end up killing uh, a lot of innocent Les- Lebanese people. And, and that's not what we want. That's what folks don't understand. There's nobody in Israel. I've, I've been working now with soldiers you know, since October the 13th when we got back here. I have yet to meet one soldier who wants to kill people, who is excited about innocent pe- people dying. We're just trying to survive. We live with a constant existential threat to Israel. They want us to cease to exist. One of our prayers called the Shechianu, which we pray uh, throughout the year, we pray it on Hanukkah. And it's a basically a prayer that says, God, you know, King, Lord, King of the universe, thank you that we're still here, that we still exist as a people. What other nation has to pray such a prayer? And that's because we've gone through, we used to say 52, but now since October 7th, 53 attempted genocides against the people of Israel, going all the way back to Haman, to Pharaoh, to Hitler, you know, all throughout history. I don't know of any other nation that has to put up with what Israel puts up with on a day-by-day basis uh, uh, internationally. And you mentioned the UN, such a double standard when it comes to the UN and Israel. So many resolutions anti-Israel resolutions that are passed, and then, of course, none for Iran or Russia and all of that. And we could talk all day long about all those things that are that are going on at the United Nations. And I want to encourage you to go to roncantor.com. You can get a lot of good information there on what they are doing in Israel, how you can pray, how you can support them, and what's happening there. I want to ask you about politics and specifically about uh, Joe Biden's politics toward Israel. It seems like you know, he is saying one thing, but then sometimes privately, and now it's coming out publicly. Okay, Israel, uh, we're going to support you. Oh, but wait a minute. Hurry up and get that war over. We need a ceasefire. We need we need a ceasefire for six months. And I want your response on what Biden is doing to pressure Israel for a, a ceasefire. And then, of course, you got the left in there, AOC and Rashida and Tlaib and all of those guys saying, hey, uh, stop the war, stop the war. Yeah, I, you know, one of the things I, if I could actually have a conversation with AOC or Rashida Tlaib or Ilhan Omar, I would say if you really care about Palestinian lives, if, if, it, if it's really bothering you that Palestinians are dying, why are you calling for Israel to stop? Why don't you call for Hamas to surrender? That, that would stop everything right now. Call for Hamas. I have not seen one tweet from any of them condemning Hamas. These are terrorist murderers like Al-Qaeda who attacked America on 9-11. I've not seen them call for the hostages. These, these are not uh, prisoners of war. These are not military. These are, these are civilians that are being held by Hamas. And um, if they really cared about Palestinians, and, and I'll tell you why I know that they don't, uh, but if they really cared, they would call for Hamas to lay down their arms and surrender. They would call for Hamas to release all of the hostages. Uh, that would save so many Palestinian lives. And, and many Palestinians, if not most, they cannot stand being under Hamas rule. Ham, the Hamas soldiers are underground surviving right now while they use women and children and grandmothers as human shields. 
But, you know, during the, the Syrian civil war, I don't know if it actually ever ended, but, you know, started in 2011, uh, thousands of Palestinians were killed, you know, because Palestinians live in, they live in Jordan, they live in Syria, they live in Lebanon, they live in refugee camps. And I never heard anybody outraged over the fact that Palestinians were being killed. Uh, in fact, it, it doesn't matter if people die in uh, there, there is uh, in Africa, there are civil wars going on. There's genocide going on, you know, in uh, Myanmar, Russia. It's only when Israel is involved that there is suddenly outrage. But getting back to the first part of your question, which is President Biden, you know, when he came here back in the early part of the war, I have to say that I, he was articulate. He was bold. He was, uh, we could not have asked for a better friend uh, than Joe Biden at the beginning of this war. It was incredibly encouraging to the whole country how he defended us. But he, you know, began to feel the pressure from uh, many on the left and some on the right, by the way, you know, who are, who are not big fans of Israel. And it, he's running for election and he has begun to pressure. You know, I just heard today where there is now a plan between the United States and a bunch of Arab nations to impose uh, on Israel a Palestinian state. And John, I am not, I am not 100% against a Palestinian state. Um, you know, they are human beings. We are all made in the image of God. Palestinians, Israelis, we are both made in the image of God. God longs for Israelis and Palestinians to find salvation in Yeshua, in Jesus. That's my passion. That That is why I'm here. I don't hate Arabs and I don't hate Palestinians. And, um, and there are uh, over 2 million uh, Palestinians that live, you know, between the West Bank and Gaza, more than 2 million. And, you know, if, if, if they had a responsible leadership, I would be open to talking about a Palestinian state. I wouldn't be happy about it. I love the land of Israel. But, you know, I, right now is not the time to talk about a Palestinian state. You are basically empowering terrorism. You are saying to Hamas what you did on October the 7th when you murdered Israelis in cold blood, when you gang-raped Jewish girls, not just women, but girls, and I won't get too graphic. I know it, it's difficult for your audience. It's difficult for me. But they raped women who they killed, and they raped women in captivity. Um, and there are probably, we believe that there are Israeli girls and women in captivity right now who are pregnant with the babies of terrorists. That's what, that's what we've gone through. So when you start talking about a Palestinian state, this is not the time. You know, what, what, it, what the West has always said, we don't negotiate with terrorists. So if you're going to talk about a Palestinian state right now, you are rewarding terrorism. The other thing I would ask is who's going to lead this state? Is it going to be be Hamas because they they seize power in the Gaza Strip? Is it going to be the Palestinian Authority? Do you know that Yasser Arafat, who is the father of the PLO and the Palestinian Authority, he died a billionaire. Now he was not a businessman. He 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 did not have you know a, a chain of uh, you know convenience stores. He was a terrorist 
and he stole money from his own people. He died with over $900 million in his personal bank account. And all of the guys who, who lead the Palestinian Authority, they have, you know, you know, backroom deals. They've all gotten rich. They're all millionaires. The top three leader of Hamas are worth together. A low estimate is $11 billion. They don't live in Gaza anymore. They now live in Qatar. They live in high-rise apartments, luxury. They, they fly on private jets. These are not people who earn money. They have stolen it from their own people, and they've taken it as payoffs from Qatar and Turkey and other countries. So, this is not the time to talk about a Palestinian state. This is a time to understand that there is an existential threat to Israel's existence uh, in Gaza, in Hezbollah, in, in Lebanon, in Yemen, in the Houthis, um, and certainly in Iran with their, uh, their present government. And I'll add to everything you're saying, with the Palestinian Authority, they are an existential threat to Israel as well, because they they want the complete destruction of Israel. They're not even going to recognize uh, the state of Israel, the Jewish people, and they they just right along with Hamas and so many other of the governing authorities there when it comes to the Arab governing authorities there in Israel, just really want a total destruction of Israel. And I saw a poll recently that said, you know, most people in the West Bank, which is biblically Judea and Samaria, that's the way we should say it, are support Hamas. And so I don't know how you would ever get to a two-state solution when there is a evil mentality. You just have to remove every single governing authority there and start absolutely fresh. And I just can't, can't see that happening. But boy, we, we can pray. We can pray because, you know, you mentioned uh, loving the Arab people, and we need to do that as believers, not just the Jewish people, but the, but the Arab people as well. And, and, and we, we do, when we had our, our network here in, uh, we have a Messian Jewish network of congregations called Tikkun, which means restoration. We also have congregations in America. And we just had our um, conference in Texas, and we, we uh, had a Arab Messianic Jewish panel with Arab believers and Messianic Jewish believers. And it was really probably the highlight of the conference that we love each other. And, you know, we, we talk about what's going to solve the, the, the hatred between the, the Arab people and the Jewish people. And, it, and it's only Jesus. It's only Yeshua. That's where we're going to find. And I will add this. When I say Arab Jewish problem, the Jewish people do not have a problem with Arabs. There, the, any problem that your average Israeli has with Arabs, it's only because they want to kill us. And when I say they, I mean Islamic fanatics and certainly much of the, the Arab world. But there are many Arabs who, who know the Lord, who love the Lord, who would love to see peace with Israel. Well, God is moving uh, among the Jewish people, and he's um, moving among the Arab population there in the land of Israel as well. And if you want to find out some more details about what's happening there in the land of Israel, I want to encourage you to connect with Ron Cantor. He lives in Israel with his family, and you can get so much information about what they are doing there in the land of Israel. And they're just helping so many people, informing so many people of what's going on there in the land, truth that's coming out through, uh, through Ron Cantor and what he does there. Ron, thank you for joining us on the Middle East Report. I sure appreciate that. And thank you for all that you do there in the land of Israel and for the Jewish people and for the Arab population as well. Well, thank you for having us. I really appreciate it. 
roncantor.com is where you can go to find more information. That's roncantor.com. I encourage you to please check that website out. And I'm sure he's got video podcasts, regular podcasts, all of that. And you can get a podcast to this show as well, wherever you get your podcast, wherever you get them, we are available on all the podcast platforms. Thanks for listening.